listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. You can enjoy more messages like this and more with the free Courage Matters app, available in your app store. To invite Michael to speak to your group, visit CourageMatters.com and click on the Your Story tab. Hold on to your seat and open your heart as Mike teaches us from God's Word. We live in a farming community, and if you live in a farming community, you know that one of the things Farming 101 is that before you go and plant seed, you have to do something to the ground. You have to till up the ground. You have to get that ground really soft, and you have to do it each year. Just because you tilled the ground up last year, you plowed the ground last year, doesn't mean it's good enough for this year. Am I right? Am I right? You understand that? The ground has to be prepared so that when the farmer comes and puts the seed, the seed goes into the ground, the water comes, waters that seed, and then the seed becomes this sprouting thing that produces fruit. In the same way, your heart... Your mind, your soul, your whole being has to be ready for the Word of God. That when the seed of God's Word comes in just a few seconds, it falls into ground. Your heart, your very life where it's prepared. Are you ready to hear from God's Word? You ready to hear from God? Come on, folks. We live in a farming community. Are you ready to hear from God's Word? Today we're going to begin with an experiment. So I am going to recruit all of you. Down south we would say, I lived in the south for a little while, all y'all. We're going to recruit all y'all this morning. And that means that I need you to participate with me by closing your eyes. Close your eyes if you're listening by podcast, on the radio, driving your car. Of course, my legal disclaimer is do not close your eyes while you're driving your car, okay? Don't do that. But for the rest of us, close your eyes. And I want you to fix in your mind's eye this particular word. The word is humility. And I want you to see that word in your mind's eye, humility. And now begin to imagine what humility looks like. We've been talking about humility for a couple of times here at least, and you've hopefully as a follower of Jesus Christ have been thinking about processing what humility looks like in your own life. But think about humility, have that word fixed there in your mind's eye, and now what I'd like you to do with your eyes still closed is to come up with the antonym for humility. That's a fancy word for the opposite of humility. Think of the word, the first word that comes to your mind, or maybe the most appropriate word that you believe is the opposite of humility. Get that word fixed firmly in your mind's eye. The opposite of humility. Got it? Get it? Good. Now open your eyes. On the count of three, you're going to shout out as loud as you can so that our podcast and radio audience can hear what your answer is, and they'll be able to know if they're on the same page with us or not, okay? So the word you chose is the opposite for humility on the count of three. One, two, three. Let's try that again. One, two, three. Oh, I heard it. I heard it. And I heard derivatives of it. Maybe you did too. How many of you shouted out that five-letter word, P-R-I-D-E, pride? Mm, Look around. The majority of you did. Now, those of you who didn't shout out that word, pride, how many of you can say that your word, the word that you did shout out, was a form of pride? 
So you either shout it out, for those of you who can't see what I can see and what we can see, you either chose the word of pride, the word pride is the opposite of humility, or you chose a word similar to pride that would be easily, you know, exchanged with the word pride. And that's often what we do. We think the opposite of humility is pride. The problem with that is that we usually don't go any further than that. We really don't understand what pride looks like, how pride operates, and therefore, we don't typically put up our guard against pride in our individual lives and in our families and in the body of Christ, the church. And that, my friends, is the problem. You see, we're in the middle of this message series called Vision for Life, and we've spent a good chunk of time talking about God's vision for your life, for your family, and for the church. Every life, every family, every church on God's green earth. We've talked about God's mission for every life, every family, every church. And we've talked about, we've begun to talk about the five core values that every life, every family, and every church should possess and should prioritize. We've talked about the value of simplicity, living simpler lives. We've talked about the value of the movement of the Spirit of God, that if your life and your family and your church is not characterized by the movement, the free and easy movement of the Holy Spirit, the unhindered movement of the Holy Spirit, something is fundamentally wrong. And we've begun to talk about the value of humility. James chapter 4, verse 6, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34, which James and Peter reference in their books, the references I just gave, all talk about the simple truth that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. How much humility is enough in your life? How much humility is enough in your family? How much humility is enough in the body of Christ, the church? Just a little more. You can never have too much genuine humility. In fact, the lack of humility often invites the active opposition of God. But you see, you and I have to understand very clearly what the opposite of humility is. We've talked about why humility is important. We've talked about what humility is. But today we're going to talk a little bit about what the opposite of humility looks like. And we're going to turn to our Father's Word to find out the prime example of that. There are many places we could go, but if you like to count, you like the book of Numbers. Turn with me to Numbers chapter 16. The book of Numbers in chapter 16, in our Father's Word, because it's important for you to understand what pride looks like in an individual life, what pride looks like in a family, what pride looks like when God is in the thick of moving. And if you know your Bible at all, you know that it is a series of stories, not of exceptions. Although there are exceptions in the Bible that were one and dones, you know, things that are not repeatable, in most instances in the Bible, what God is presenting to us are examples, examples, examples 
of how God moves, how God operates, and how godly people get on board with God as He's moving. And this is one of those passages. This is one of those examples that you can look at in your own life, you can look at in your own family, you can look at in the church, because God is in the process of moving among His people. And something is fundamentally wrong if you look at the course of your own life and the course of your family and in the church, wherever you might be rolling up your sleeves and serving God, if God is not moving in your life, something's wrong. That's not normal. Now, there are seasons and in everybody's life and everybody's family, every church where it seems like God's not moving for a while. But remember, there are four seasons in a year. You might be in a winter for a little time, but that needs to be one of the seasons. In the other seasons of your life and in your family and in the church, there should be growth, there should be activity. If your life, if your family, if the church that you're a part of is not characterized by the real, genuine movement of the Spirit of God, something is abnormal. It's Abby something, for those of you who like young Frankenstein. It's abnormal. The normal Christian experience individually and in your family and in the church is that God is moving. God's active and people are moving with Him. You see, that's the problem though because when God is moving, oftentimes within the ranks, somebody is not moving with God. Numbers 16, verse 1. Now Korah, the son of Issar, son of Kohath, son of Levi, and Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men. Here we go. They rose up before Moses with a number of the people of Israel, 250 chiefs of the congregation chosen from the assembly, well-known men. They assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said to them, You've gone too far, for all in the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? When Moses heard it, he fell on his face, and he said to Korah and all his company, In the morning the Lord will show who is his and who is holy. And will bring him near to him. The one whom he chooses, he will bring near to him. Do this. Take censers, Korah, and all his company. Put fire in them and put incense on them before the Lord tomorrow. And the man whom the Lord chooses shall be the Holy One. You've gone too far, sons of Levi. This is original trial by fire. We touched on it before in our last time together, but we need to touch on it and delve into it more because this one passage of Scripture teaches a lifetime's worth of lessons about what to expect when God is moving, how to continue to move with God, and what can stop God from moving. See, it's one thing to talk about pride 
as this nebulous general thing that we all know that pride is bad unless you have pride toward your child when they graduate from high school or graduate from college or get a good job or make a good choice with marriage or make a good career move. That's appropriate to have pride. That's a good thing. That's a godly thing. That's a right thing, a right time and opportunity to be prideful. But other than those types of situations where intrinsically we know it's good to have pride, Pride in the Scriptures, pride when it comes to God, is not a good thing. That's Christianity 101. See, what we have here in the Scriptures is we have an example of what pride looks like. Through one guy named Korah, and another guy named Dathan, and another guy named Abiram, and another guy, and another guy, and then before you know it, this one guy became two, and three, and four, and five, and it became 250 men. And what we understand here from this passage of Scripture is something that you need to understand in your personal life, you need to understand in your family life, and we need to understand it in the church life, in the family of the church. Another word for pride that you might not typically understand, another way of talking about pride, another word, a synonym for pride would be, could be, and actually is control. Pride is control. Now, if you've ever been around a controlling person in your own family or in the church, you know that there's nothing worse than being around a controlling person. And you see, what, 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 what you're realizing there is something that's intrinsically true when it comes to the movement of God. At the end of the day, if you want to succeed with God and therefore life, surrendering to the Holy Spirit must be greater than your desire to control your life or your family or the church. If you want to succeed with God and therefore in life, your surrender to God, your desire to be led by God, must be greater than your desire to control your life or your family or your church. In fact, that's not even far enough to say that. Almost sounds totally correct. No, if you want to succeed with God and therefore in life, your surrender to the Holy Spirit must supplant and replace your desire to control your own life your desire to control your family, and your desire to control the church. Because at the end of the day, your life is either going to be controlled by the spirit of control. Your family is either going to be controlled by the spirit of control. Your church is either going to be controlled by the spirit of control, or it's going to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He doesn't force himself upon us, but he woos us and he pursues us. And he lets us know what the right choice is. And he asks us for the opportunity to hand over the reins of our lives and of our families and of the church so that the Holy Spirit is really welcome. Because when the Holy Spirit is welcome, Jesus is exalted. And when Jesus is exalted, he takes his place in your own life as the king. He takes his place in your own life, in your family. He takes his place as the king in the church and the leader in the church. 
But here we have a guy named Korah with Dathan and Abiram and a few others. And what are they at the core? They're not just prideful. Let's call it what it is. It's not just some general nebulous thing that these guys are prideful. These guys are control freaks. They have an issue with control. Now, I don't know what happened in the life of Korah or Dathan or Abiram, and neither do you, but I can tell you this as we will explore in our next time together, that the circumstances of life that often lead one to becoming humble are often the same circumstances that lead one to become controlling. Ouch. Something along the course of Korah's life and Dathan and Abiram had happened where somehow as God was moving before their very eyes, doing miraculous things, they were more interested in being controlling of the circumstance. They were more interested in being in control than allowing God to rule and to reign and to control. Somehow they were living in a bizarro, reversal world of some sort. I mean, how could they be so self-deceived? How could they be so self-deceived that they began to deceive other people in their midst where God was moving? And they began to say, I mean, look at what they say here. It's absolutely bizarre. It's absolutely bizarre. Verse 3, they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said to them, you've gone too far for all in the congregation are holy, every one of them and the Lord among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly? By the time we get to later on in this very passage, in verse 14, it says, moreover, you've not brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey, nor given us inheritance of fields and vineyards. Will you put out the eyes of these men? We will not come up. In verse 13, they said, is it a small thing that you've brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness that you must also make yourselves a prince over us? What in the world is wrong with these guys? The Israelites were enslaved, not for four years, not for 40 years, not 100 years or 200 years or 300 years. They were enslaved by the Egyptians for 400 years. And these guys are so self-deceived that they call Egypt a land flowing with milk and honey? Hello? See, what you have to understand about a controlling person, a person who's filled with pride, is that a controlling person cannot see God moving when it should be absolutely obvious. Can't see. Won't see aren't prepared, aren't interested, aren't interested. Isn't that really what it comes down to? Aren't interested in following God? See, if you're not hungry to follow God, you won't look for God to move in your life. If you're not hungry to follow God, you won't invite God to move in your family. And if you are not hungry for God to move in the church family that you're a part of, the church, God can be moving all over the place in miraculous ways. It's not going to get much more miraculous than what we see in Exodus and Numbers, the way God is moving. And you won't see it. If you don't put to death who's going to control your life, if you don't put to death who's going to control your family, 
If you don't settle the issue of who's going to control your church, you are going to miss the movement of the Spirit of God while other people are catching it. Other people are moving with God. You can be a control freak and miss it all along the way. It happens every day of the week. In our personal lives, God is moving and we don't see it because we're interested in controlling and calling the shots. It happens in our family lives where God is moving and you can't see God at work in your spouse because you're so concerned and so controlling. You can't see and give grace and extend kindness and give space to the Spirit of God working in your spouse. And it happens in the church. We want church our way. We want this program. We want it done that way. We want fill in the blank. If you really want to succeed with God, really, and you really want to succeed in life, your surrender to God and your hunger to be led by God must be greater than your desire to control your own life and to control your own family and to control the movement of the Spirit of God. One of the most diabolical destructive forces in your family is one of the most diabolical destructive forces in your own life and in the life of the church. It's that five-letter word, pride, which manifests itself through the spirit of control. What does it look like? Well, let's look here at Numbers chapter 16 and verse 2. Here's a really good image, a really good picture of how pride manifests itself, what the spirit of control looks like. Look with me at verse 2. They rose up before Moses with a number of the people of Israel, 250 chiefs of the congregation chosen from the assembly, well-known men. This is what makes pride and the spirit of control so difficult to come against in the flesh because I'm sure that Korah was a well-respected individual, probably very successful and therefore very persuasive, very persuasive, very successful, very prominent, so much so that 250 other well known, respectable people from among the congregation were led astray. The principle is here in Scripture. A little yeast works through the whole batch. See, controlling people, people with pride, are often some of the nicest people, humanly speaking, you'll ever meet. They're some of the most polite people you'll ever meet. They're some of the most influential people, some of the sometimes wealthiest people, some of the most charismatic people, but nonetheless, they are filled with pride and still controlling. And pride and control cannot mutually go on where the Spirit of God is moving in your own life and in your family and in the body of Christ. Somebody, something's got to give way. You know, there's something else in the Bible that was extremely persuasive, tremendously charismatic, 
influential, persuasive in the garden, the serpent telling Eve, look at that fruit, how delicious it looks. Did God really say to you? And the rest, as they say, is history. Pride often manifests itself through the spirit of control. See, these guys have what seems to be a legitimate argument. Aren't all the people holy? Aren't we all on a level playing field? Who are you, Moses? See, Korah was a son of Levi, which meant he would have been able to, with his clan, minister in the tabernacle and then the temple. But then from the Levites would have been the priests. And the issue comes down in verse 10 of Numbers chapter 16 that Korah and his people weren't content with just ministering as Levites in the tabernacle and the temple. They wanted to have the priesthood of which Aaron had the priesthood. Aaron was the priest ministering, and it was his sons who were supposed to have the priesthood. And so the issue was really one of control. They wanted to be the center of attention. And I don't know what happened in Korah's life, some type of a difficult situation, some type of a way that maybe he didn't have the honor that he felt that he deserved, but he had persuasiveness and influence and prestige among the people, and therefore he was able to lead astray a handful of other men, which became 250 others. And before you know it, this whole move of God that we look at today, and we read the book of Numbers, and we read the Old Testament, and we say, look at how God was moving among the people, how God was delivering his people. Somehow, all of that movement came to a screeching halt because of one man and then a few other men who were infected, And then 250 others who were well-known people, leaders among the people. And the whole movement of God, before you know it, came to a screeching halt. You know, that's true in your life. It's true in your family. It's true in my life and my family. It's true in your church and mine. What God is doing today is no guarantee he's going to be doing it tomorrow. If you know your Bible any length of time, you know that we have an arch enemy. 1 Peter chapter 5 says, our enemy, the devil, roams around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Couldn't be any clearer than that. He's on the prowl. And the problem with lions is that they often don't hunt alone. And while you're looking at one lion, another one comes up from behind, and that's your undoing. If you know your Bible for any length of time, you know the arch enemy, the devil, but don't make a mistake about it. Don't think that he's the only one. We actually have not one, not two, but three arch enemies. One is the devil. One is the world. First John says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Do not love the world or anything in the world. So the world and the devil and the flesh. The flesh put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to the sinful nature. See, the spirit of control is depending upon your own human reasoning, your own human logic, your own natural whatever it might be, rather than the Holy Spirit. Trying to control what should only be controlled by God. Your own life, your own family, and the church. And any one of those diabolical arch enemies is enough 
to wreak havoc in your life. And oftentimes they work together where there's a sin of the flesh being energized by satanic means. And before you know it, there's hell to pay. Before you know it, God's not moving in your own life. God's not moving in your family. God's not moving in the church when your life and your family and the church, the body of Christ, should be fundamentally, primarily characterized by the movement of God above anything and everything else. You have to understand that controlling people will create a train wreck in your family. Some of you know exactly what I mean. Because that controlling person will not let God have the reins. Some of us know that in a church, all it takes is one or two controlling people to take the reins of what only the Holy Spirit should be in charge of. And before you know it, instead of God moving, it's some spirit other than God moving. And you're looking in the rearview mirror at what God did instead of ahead at what, what God's doing. What makes control so difficult to deal with is that often it's disguised by somebody who's very polite, very kind, very charismatic, often very giving, giving you things that make you feel like you have an obligation to do what? Let them have more control. But it's diabolical, it's divisive, it's destructive nonetheless. If we were to go back in time and be a fly on the wall and to look at this rebellion at Korah and to understand where it ends up when the ground opens up and Korah and his whole family and these guys get sucked into the ground, never to be seen again, we know that God dealt with it very seriously. But the seeds of divisiveness, the seeds of destruction, the diabolical nature of the pride, which was control, continued because after all of that, still the whole congregation rose up and God had to send a plague and took care of 14,700 of them in a very quick time. Don't you dare think for even just a moment that that controlling spirit is not a significant, dastardly, divisive, diabolical thing, entity, that if you're not careful, if you don't deal with it in your family, if you don't deal with it in your life, and if we don't deal with it in the church, it will deal with us. You know, don't confuse, don't confuse control with leadership. Don't confuse control with leadership. Look with me, for example, at Second Chronicles in chapter 34 in verse 33, the last verse of chapter 34. 2 Chronicles 34, 33. Josiah took away all the abominations from all the territory that belonged to the people of Israel and made all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God all his days. They did not turn away from following the Lord, the God of their fathers. That's such a fascinating verse of Scripture because it says that Josiah, this is when he was about 25, 26 years old. He became the king of God's people at eight years old, is ruling for about 18 years, 
And when he's 25 or 26 years old, when this particular verse of Scripture was written, what does it say? He made all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God. You know, that's the purpose of a leader who's called by God. Not with an authoritarian way, but definitely with authority. Definitely with God-given authority in your family. Would you stop apologizing for leading your family? You are called by God to lead with authority in your family. And yes, 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 make your family one that honors God. That is what you are to do. Not in an authoritarian way, but definitely with the authority that God has given you. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 6. In Ephesians chapter 6 in verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. There's order here in the way God does things, where the children are to submit to the parents. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. Direct quote from the Ten Commandments. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Verse 4, fathers, do not provoke or exasperate your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Notice the responsibility for the father, the father to bring the children up in the instruction and discipline of the Lord. There is order. Yes, we're all equal at the foot of the cross in terms of salvation, in terms of our need for salvation, but we are not equal in terms of function. See, we've had this jammed down our throats so many times we don't even understand the subtlety of it. In your household, you men, if you're married, you have been given the charge by God to be the leader in your family. This means you hold the 51% card when there's a disagreement between you and your wife about what should be done. Somebody's got to call the shot. Somebody's got to make the decision. That falls upon the man. You say, well, I don't see that in Scripture. Well, yes, you do. You just haven't been paying attention to it. Haven't you noticed that in the garden, in the book of Genesis, that it was not Adam who took the fruit first and disobeyed God? It was Eve. And yet, when we get to the book of Romans, the Bible says very clearly that sin came into the world not through Eve, but through Adam. What is that all about? It's a biblical principle that we see again and again about responsibility, about authority. Now, some have taken that pendulum and shoved it way over to the other side as an excuse for authoritarian leadership in the home. And that's godless. It's not biblical because husbands, we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. That's convicting enough. That's enough to chew on for a whole lifetime, is it not? But for Pete's sake, Love your wife as Christ loved the church. Give yourself to your wife as Christ gave himself sacrificially, unconditionally for you and for me and for everybody. There's this principle in Scripture of order and chain of command. It sounds even difficult to say that, doesn't it today? Doesn't it seem difficult to even hear that today in the PC world in which we live? But you know what? It's in 
the word of God. There's order and there's authority, and we are to walk in that order. We are to walk in that authority with humility, because if you don't, somebody else will. And that other person in your family, that other person in the church might not have the leading of the Holy Spirit in mind. They might have another agenda. Hey, maybe I could be more prominent, Moses, have this priesthood role. Uh, I'd like it. I didn't get it. God didn't call me to do that, but I'm calling myself to do that. And so control rises up. And somebody wants to take the reins where only the Spirit of God should have the reins. See, in your family, there's order and there's structure designed by God. And when that order and that structure is undermined through a diabolical means by what the world tells us and what the flesh promotes and is then energized demonically, the world, the flesh, and the devil working together, you have what's known as a foothold. And footholds, if you haven't noticed, are very difficult to take care of without repentance and acknowledgement of what's wrong, asking God for forgiveness, and then surrendering. See, it's absolutely important. If you want to succeed with God and therefore succeed in life, surrendering to God must be preeminent. It must be above and beyond your own desire to control your life and control your family and control the church. I'll tell you what we don't need. We don't need another controlling person in our families. Been there, done that, tried that, not fun. God's not moving. I'll tell you what we don't need. We don't need another controlling person in the church. When God is moving, what we need is for God to continue moving, not for somebody to stand up and say, you know what, excuse my absolute complete blindness. Excuse the fact that I've got my fingers in my ear and can't hear a word that God is trying to say. Excuse me for all of that. How about a little bit of me, myself, and I? There is this thing in the Bible about authority. There is this thing that seems to have ridden its way off into the sunset like silent movies. There is this thing called authority where in your family, parents, you are to lead your children. Children are to submit to their parents. One of the characteristics in the last of the last days, 2 Timothy chapter 3, read it for yourself. 2 Timothy chapter 3, one of the characteristics in the last of the last days is that children would be characterized on a global basis as being disobedient to parents. And if that's not happening today, in an unprecedented way, then I don't know what news we're reading, what radio station we're listening to, what podcast we're listening to. We're just not paying attention. You can follow me as I follow Christ on Twitter, at God Factor Mike. You can do that. I encourage you to do that because you'll see funny things like this. Somebody tweeted this and they said, quote, claiming that someone else's marriage is against your religion. You know where this is going. Is like being angry at someone for eating a donut because you're on a diet. <laughs> Claiming that someone else's marriage is against your religion is like being angry at someone for eating a donut because you're on a diet. So I tweeted back and I said, unless, of course, that donut eater keeps shoving it in my child's face while I'm trying to teach my child about eating vegetables. 
Glory to Almighty God. Don't confuse humility with cowardice. What we need is courage to stand up and be the man that God called you to be individually in your life and be the man, be the woman that God called you to be in your family. Read the Bible, put it into action and apply it. To be the man or the woman that God has called you to be in the body of Christ, the church. And to settle the issue of who's going to control your life, the Spirit of God or yourself. Who's going to control your family? The Spirit of God or somebody else in your family? Why in the world are we concerned and fearful of mere mortals? We're not going to appear before the judgment seat of your husband or the judgment seat of your wife or the judgment seat of your child or the judgment seat of your mother and father or the judgment seat of your pastor or the judgment seat of all your pastors, judgment seat of the elders and the pastors, the judgment seat of the elders, the pastors, and the deacons. We're going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And at the end of it all, we're going to know very clearly that your success and my success in our lives individually and in our families and in the church was dependent upon whether or not we settled that issue of being led by the Holy Spirit or being led by and allowing ourselves to be controlled by something else. You've got authority in your family. Walk out your authority. Do it with the strength that God provides. You've got authority in the church. Walk out the authority that God has given you. My number one responsibility as the lead pastor of this church is not to preach sermons. It's not my number one responsibility. My number one responsibility in this church is to make sure that the Holy Spirit is ruling and reigning and leading the people. Because without that, who cares what I'm preaching? Who cares what I'm teaching? Who cares how big the building is? Who cares what kind of quote-unquote ministries we're doing? I really don't care. I'm not interested in playing church, and neither should you be, especially at this dark day and age in which we live, in the history that's being made right now in the United States of America. You know, I spent a number of years working with a ministry in Portland, Oregon called International Renewal Ministries, and it was a ministry to pastors. It was a ministry to pastors, and God came in through the back door with me in calling me to be a pastor, because if he had come through the front door, I would have seen him coming, (laughs) and I would have run out the back door, because I tried that multiple times. I did. And in this ministry to pastors, different denominations, we would meet. I was involved for like six years. I would see time and time again what a pastor would go through, and I would say, there is no way I'm going to allow myself to be one of those guys. I had seen so many guys sit in a chair just like this one and cry and weep, cry their hearts out sit in a chair just like this one and cry their hearts out about how they wanted to follow God and God had called them to the ministry and God had put a vision for Jesus Christ on their hearts and a community of people worshiping him, noble, godly, biblical, and yet they were derailed. You see, what often happens in the ministry is you'll hear about a bad pastor because they make the headlines. Bad pastors make the headlines, but you don't hear anything about the bad elder You don't hear anything about the bad deacon. You don't hear anything about the bad Sunday school teacher. You don't hear anything about the controlling person within the congregation 
who statistically all it takes is one to three control freaks in a church. And that good, godly pastor who had a vision from God and had a calling from God and gave up everything for the sake of that calling leaves the church. In fact, it's so much a pandemic today that now pastors are leaving the ministry at such an alarming rate that 1,500 pastors leave the ministry every single month. Every single month. And do you know why they leave the church? They leave what they felt God called them to do. They left everything to go to seminary or Bible colleges. Even if they didn't go to seminary or Bible college, they left another lucrative position or giving up whatever else it might be. They left all of that to pursue a full-time calling with God. Do you know why they do it? The same reason of why I would see pastor after pastor sitting in a chair just like this folding chair. In that ministry to pastors, International Renewal Ministries in Portland, Oregon, I would see pastor after pastor sit in a chair just like that folding chair and weep before Almighty God and weep before brothers in Christ because there was one elder or one deacon or one Sunday school teacher, one person filled with pride, one controlling person in the church that drove them out of their mind. And that's not an anomaly. That's the norm. That's the reason why a man of God will leave a church. All it takes is one person, one Korah, one Dathan, one Abiram to become 250 well-known, supposedly well-meaning successful above all else, successful in dividing and diminishing the movement of the Spirit of God. That's all it takes. All it takes is within your family for one of you to be more concerned about having the control than making and allowing God to be in control. And you can kiss the movement of God and your family goodbye. You can bank on that based on the teaching of God's word because in Numbers chapter 16, everything comes to a screeching halt. God is moving in obvious ways, very clear ways, and everything comes to a halt. Because somebody wants to be in control. Somebody is filled with pride instead of humility. Somebody became enamored with somebody else other than the living and true God. How is that even possible? The pillar of cloud by day. The pillar of fire by night. A wall of water on the left and a wall of water on the right. And the Israelites walking straight through and looking back behind them to see God take care of Pharaoh and all the Egyptians in one fell swoop. All of that, the ten plagues, movement after movement after movement. See, pride deceives us. Pride deludes us. That desire for control squelches the movement 
of the Spirit of God. And that's why a pastor called by God will leave the ministry. That's why a church will split. It's right here in Korah. Number 16. All it takes is one bad apple to ruin the bunch. See, your success with God and therefore your life definitely does come down to whether or not you will be surrendered to God and whether or not that surrender to God will take preeminence over your desire to control your own life or your own family or your own church. Who's going to be in charge? You, some other human entity, or the Spirit of God? You've got to make up your mind about that. You've got to draw your line in the sand And you've got to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my church, I will hold up the arms of the people who are leaders. Yes, you must do that. It is a responsibility that you have. God does create order within the church. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Hebrews 13, 17. Look with me in our Father's Word. In Hebrews 13, 17. I'm out of my mind to actually even have to bring this up, but imagine the writer of Scripture writing this. We live in a day and age in which we have to make very clear what should be obvious because what should be obvious is not clear anymore. Hebrews chapter 13, 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they're keeping watch over your souls. Here's the accountability. As those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. God likes order in the church. God has created authority within the church. What Korah said and Abiram and Dathan said is the same thing that many could say within the church. Aren't we all just followers of Jesus Christ? Can't we just all have equal footing? No, you don't see that in the Bible. We have equal footing. Listen, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. We have equal footing in terms of our value before God, in terms of our fallenness before God, in terms of our need before God, but we have different spiritual gifts, different callings by God, and different authorities to walk out and to work out with fear and with trembling. Let me give you an example of what a good, godly leader looks like. And I'm going to embarrass this person because they're part of this church. You know this person because they're tall and they're a little older than I am. And they have no idea that I'm going to do this, but I'm doing this because he happens to be the best looking of all of our elders. I'm talking, of course, of Dick Schiff. Now, I could be using many of you as an example. I'm just lovingly using Dick Schiff as an example because he's the eldest of our elders. He's 81 years old. Dick Schiff is 81 years old. Now, you can debate about whether or not, yes, glory to God. You can debate about whether or not he's the best-looking elder or not. Take that up with uh, Dick and Connie, okay? But Dick will often come up to me and say, Mike, I will follow you. You're my pastor. I will follow you as long as you're following Jesus Christ. He loves me, and he's supporting me, and that's what it means to support your pastor, to have arms upheld like that. He's an example that I can proudly say lovingly, he knows what it is to be a man of God holding up the arms of the pastors. Dick Schiff. 
Why am I bringing him up? Turn with me to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6 in verse 1. I need you, Jesus Christ needs you to pray for your family and to pray for this family, to pray for this church as if you're the only one praying for your family, as if you're the only one praying for this church. Because what is at stake in your family and what is at stake in this family, the family of God in this church, is whether or not this church and your family will be characterized by the movement of the Spirit of God or some human person controlling your family or controlling the church. Which would you rather have? Would you rather be controlled and be the one who's in control, or would you not rather have the Spirit of God be in control of your family and have the Spirit of God be in control of the church and be led by the church? I know what I would rather have, and over my dead body, will I allow anything else to happen in the church and in the family? And you should have that same mantra for yourself. That's what it means to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You need to pray as if it depends upon you, as if you're the only person praying for your family, as if you're the only person praying for this church. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. See, this was the Jewish believers and the non-Jewish believers, and there was a dispute going on here. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, good reputation, but here is how their reputation is defined. Full of the spirit and of wisdom whom we will appoint to this duty. Full of the spirit and wisdom wisdom. That's what their reputation was, full of the Spirit and wisdom. We don't need, and you don't need it in your family, we don't need it in the church, people who are simply successful, simply influential, simply persuasive, and simply kind and polite. I'm sure that the serpent was incredibly kind and incredibly persuasive. Incredibly so in the garden. Incredibly convincing when he slithered closely to Eve and said the things that he said when he deceived her. What you need in your family is what we need in the church. People who are characterized with the reputation of being filled with the Holy Spirit and filled with wisdom. Because when you're filled with the Holy Spirit and you're filled with wisdom, there's no room to shove anything else into that life. Because success with God and success in your life comes down to whether or not you're going to be surrendered to the Holy Spirit or whether or not you're going to allow control. That evil, wicked, divisive, diabolical, destructive spirit of control to lead and direct and pervert and twist 
where only God should be leading, only God should be directing, only God should be moving. It's up to you and it's up to me. What would you rather have, humility or a bucket of ice water? Every single day of your life and every single day of my life, in your personal life, in your family, and in the church, we've got decisions to make. And the decision is always, who will lead? God or man? God needs you to pray for this church, to pray for your church, to pray for his church, that the Holy Spirit would move and everything and anything else other than the leading of the Holy Spirit would go by the wayside right off into the sunset. We are to pray as if we were the only people praying in the church because all we are is one decision away. One decision away from a Korah in the midst of the camp. One decision away from putting somebody in a position of influence who really is controlling rather than being led by the Holy Spirit. And whenever somebody is controlling other than the Holy Spirit, there is hell to pay. We don't have time to be controlled in the church by anybody other than the Holy Spirit, do we? We don't have time in our families. We've tried to bring about change in our own families and found out the hard way we can't bring about the change that only God can bring about. Try the Holy Spirit. Understand that success in your life, success with God comes down to whether or not, it really does, whether or not you're going to submit and surrender yourself to the Holy Spirit's leading or you're going to continue to insist and persist that you're in control of your life, that you're in control of your family, that you're in control of the church when God never said you should be. And if God never said that you should be in control of your life or that you should be in control of your family or that you or anybody should be in control of the church, then who are we to say differently? I am asking you more than that. God is asking you to pray as if you're the only one praying in this church that the Holy Spirit would be ruling and reigning, that God would move and get out of the way anything and everything, no matter how polite it might seem, no matter how kind it might seem, no matter how prestigious or powerful it might seem if it's seeking to control what should only be controlled by the Holy Spirit. It has no place in a family of God. It has no place in the family of God, the church, and it should have no place in your life or in mine. You've been listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. We'd love to hear how this message impacted you. To share your story, visit CourageMatters.com and click on the Your Story tab. If you enjoyed this message, you'll love Michael Anthony's Courage Matters podcast, where he focuses on leadership, relationships, and world events. To learn more, visit CourageMatters.com. In the meantime, keep looking up. There's no place else worth looking.